0: Hey guys, this is Aaron Reason, your host of A Reason to Live. Uh, First and foremost, I just want to say thanks again for all the feedback uh, that we're getting. You guys have been amazing. We really appreciate all of our listeners. I'm excited to bring episode four to you. We've got our good friend that we work with here, April. Um, So we're going to get a view of what the clinical side of recovery looks like here. So stay tuned. Uh, Hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Located in Anderson, Indiana, Bridges of Hope is a detox and residential treatment facility assisting those experiencing alcohol and substance abuse addiction. Our treatment philosophy is based on a comprehensive and integrated approach to addressing all issues related to substance use disorders and co-occurring mental health issues. Addiction Treatment at Bridges of Hope can guide you safely through withdrawal from drugs and alcohol and teach you important skills that help you achieve long-term recovery. Client care is our highest priority and we offer our clients all-inclusive treatment services. Our ultimate goal is to identify the challenges, concerns, and problems related to substance use and mental health disorders to provide professional clinical treatment to all of our patients. For more information on our services, visit us at BeHopeRehab.com or call 844-449-6392.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to A Reason to Live. This is your host, Aaron Reason, here with my producer, Michael Whitlock. Hey everybody, and we have a special guest today. April Kanesinski, she works with us. She is awesome and amazing. And we're so excited to have you on the show, April. Thank you. I, I'm i extra excited just because I've known April for
2: easily over a decade. Yes. Uh, we worked together at another facility, uh, not for addiction, but uh, for developmental disabilities. Um, so I know for uh, from history that she's well educated uh intelligent a lot of fun um younger than me by 5 weeks and 1 day
0: mm, uh, okay. because
2: for <laughs> a full year we get to be old people together and for 5 weeks and 1 day she gets to brag about how
0: she's the young friend in our absolutely in our group. yeah and i mean she's got to be a very strong woman Having put up with you for a decade. Absolutely. Way strong. Way strong. (laughs) My Lord. Mm. So why don't you
2: start off by telling us a little bit about your background, credentials, uh, addiction services, you know, that kind of thing.
3: Okay. So I have a master's degree in social work that I got in 2011. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology that I got clear back in 2000. Um, So if you're counting, April makes 23 years of working in the field of mental health and addictions. Um, I have come so far that I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I'm also a licensed clinical addictions counselor. And I've been doing that for almost 11 years now, so that's been fantastic. I've worked in inpatient facilities for addictions, and I've worked in community mental health. And on the side for fun, I am a court-appointed special advocate for the county I live in, and I also teach at a local university to help rear up addictions counselors so that we have plenty. Instead of always wishing we had more.
0: So you need more to do because you're just not Absolutely. pulling your weight in the world. Yeah, Absolutely. April, you're not... really, you really need to step it up. And I, I, I thought I was going to be impressed, <laughs> but man, I'm just like...
2: Well, oh. let's, let's not forget your two most important jobs. You're also a wife and a mother. A
3: wife and a mother, mm-hmm. And yes. those are
2: full-time jobs in itself. <clears throat>
3: Absolutely, um,
2: yes. So that's great. We appreciate um, all that you do. I And I was excited when... Our clinical director said that you were looking for, um, you know, some relocation. And it was just a perfect fit for us. You know, we both had worked with you before and we knew what you brought to the table. So it was a natural fit for you to join our team. One of the things I love about you is that you can deliver news that is hard hitting but yet in a loving fashion so that someone receives the mm-hmm. message and yet they, they don't want to just run away, quit the program. Yeah. And not everyone can carry that skill set. So that's definitely something I've always appreciated about you. Thank you. So.
0: Awesome. Well, let's jump into the questioning. So um, tell us about your role um, at, our, at our facility here.
3: Okay, so my title is Clinical Manager. um I do a little bit of everything here too I, do. <laughs> I I've got um anywhere from two to three clients that are mine that I get to walk them through their therapy for their twenty eight days while they're here. Um, But also, it is my responsibility to do individual supervision and group supervision with the therapists here. So um, that's kind of one of my passions is growing people and, you know, so one day when I retire, there's this whole set of people that are, you know, very skilled and and ready to take on the world. So um, I love to watch clients grow just as much as I love to watch the therapists grow.
0: Yeah that's that's awesome I mean yeah. I think that we all have that passion right I mean yes. there's something about you know when you see the light come back on and, and you know a client's eyes and you know they start to get it and they start to feel better about themselves and and see and know their worth I mean to me that's just that's just the most beautiful thing ever it you is. know it, it really is yeah um So we talked a little bit about your background in the addiction field. Um, Can you just kind of elaborate on that? Like, so what, what, you know, made you want to get into this field specifically?
3: Okay. I, I myself am not an addict, but I come from a family that I tell the clients all the time, if you shake my family tree, more addiction falls out than not. Um, And so kind of way back in my very beginning of my career, um, I was given the opportunity to learn about addictions. And at that point, it was just sheerly personal. I wanted to know, why does my family do what it does? And yeah. and why do I not? Like, it, it just didn't make sense to me. Uh, so that's kind of where it started. And then from there, it was, um, my career kind of started with children, both in the DCS realm and the juvenile probation realm. Okay. And I was getting an awful lot of children of whose parents were addicts. Right. And uh, at some point I just said, you know, I feel like I can't really help them unless I also help their parents. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of how the career has kind of changed and morphed over time. But um, it really was a personal reason I got into it. I, you know, I've lost family members. I have family members in long-term recovery. And then I still have a family member that's in active addiction. Yeah. So uh, it, it's half personal, but also half uh, as a therapist. I love to see people change and grow. And this seems to be the field uh, that I can watch that the most, I think. Yeah. So
0: mm, I like that. And Michael, you talked about that, you know, in our first episode, you know, about just how, you know, addiction touches everybody. It really and, does. In, in some way, some form. Everybody's affected by it, you know, and so that's awesome that that became your passion and, yes. you know, that, that you're helping others in that way now. So um, so what does the clinical side of recovery look like? Um, what is involved at a residential facility uh, like ours? Yeah, walk us
2: through, you know, patients walking in the door for the first time, what kind of they can expect.
3: Okay so we like to do warm handoffs which means within a matter of a day or so of them being here um, even though they're sick and not feeling well they're probably going to meet their case manager and they're going to meet their therapist and it's just a hello here's who i am and here's what i'm going to do with you when you're feeling better Uh, so that they feel connected to some of the professionals in the building and 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 get to see that they are going to get some services that are clinically oriented.
2: So there's truly a team that's focused on these patients. Absolutely. Okay.
3: Yeah. Um, and then from there, as they start feeling better and start engaging in services, you know, they're going to meet with their therapist for the first time and usually within the first five days or so. And they're going to they're complete a pretty in-depth assessment and they're going to create some treatment plans for themselves. What is it I hope to accomplish while I'm here? So, I think those are the building blocks to get them started.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, they're gonna do individual counseling at least once a week. What I love about our facility is that our caseloads are so small in comparison to other facilities that we, we can see them a couple times a week if we want to or need to. So, I think that's phenomenal. They're gonna get group therapy all day long. All day long mm-hmm. um, and and to me that's kind of one of the most important components because they need to be with like minded people who right. sure they were sick last week too they get it yeah. they you know they understand completely and um, and their staff members that they see all day long have walked in their shoes and I think that's really important for them to to hear and see.
2: How long is a typical residential program
3: typically twenty eight days
2: okay and so that's uniform around other yeah. facilities and and that's probably funded or funding based or is that um, or a modality if you will
3: um it, yes it's typical across all facilities um and it's really insurance driven mm-hmm. they've decided <laughs> that 28 days is a great round number for a residential stay <laughs>
2: yeah
3: uh, i wish they changed their minds but yeah.
2: So, 28 days, you come in, you get your treatment, and then you're cured, right?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: the, the battle is over? Yes.
3: No, I wish it were, yeah. <laughs> but it is not. Uh, we do a lot of preaching of, you know, 28 days is just the tip of the iceberg, and our hope is that they go on and do other services once they've completed here. so um, And we do our very best all around the building to talk them into that. So, yeah. Um, Because the more structured time you can have, the better off you'll be. Yeah.
2: Why don't we go ahead and hit our first sponsor, and um, we're going to come back after that.
3: At the Indiana Community Addiction Network, we offer the new standard in medication-assisted treatment. So if you're ready to put substance abuse behind you, we're here to help. We are a local family-owned center who will create an individualized physician-led care plan to help you reach sobriety. At ICANN, we treat your addiction based on your unique needs and have full addiction treatment programs. Get started on recovery today. Call ICANN now to speak to an advisor at 888-635-1470
0: or visit us at addictionsnetwork.com. Okay, guys, um, welcome back. So, April, you know, we talked about the, the family sessions, the group counseling, um, and we, we touched on aftercare. Tell us about aftercare and why you think it is so important for our clients.
3: Okay. Okay. So it it literally is just like it sounds. After they leave here, what are they going to do to maintain that sobriety? Um, And there's lots of options open to people. Um, You know, if we were going to do a true continuum of care and step down as we need to, after residential would be an intensive outpatient program that's usually nine hours a week and includes some component of individual therapy as well. Um, hold you accountable with some random drug screens and things like that. So it truly is the next step down. Um, And then from there, you might go to an outpatient setting where maybe you're going to continue to get your medications. You're maybe going to continue to do some individual therapy, um, but it just sort of lessens over time. Uh, The reason that that's so important is kind of what I said earlier is the longer you can stay in structured programming, the better you'll be. Um, and I think that that allows people to maintain relationships, maintain some accountability, um, but also some support because sometimes it's just a bad day and you need as many people to call as you possibly can. Yeah. So aftercare is really, really important. Um, PHP is another option that if you're looking to stay in a, a housed program, if you will, yeah. um, where they're going to offer you a place to stay. PHP may be where you go after residential.
2: What does PHP stand for?
3: Partial hospitalization. Okay. Okay. So they step down in hours as far as how how many hours they're in group per day. Okay. So they're in, in group five hours a day compared to our six that we are in residential. Okay. And uh, it oftentimes... Has housing for you. So for those that are homeless or uh, you know have burnt bridges with just about everybody, and they're not in a safe environment, that's the best option for them. Yeah. Um, and then from there they can continue to IOP and outpatient. Um, and then there's sober living which sober living um, is generally another program that provides housing and that it comes in all kinds of different forms, all kinds of yeah. different rules, all kinds of expectations. Um, and it really depends on what it, what your needs are at the time. The biggest component for people going on to sober living is that's about the part in the continuum of care that allows you to maybe start working again. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people, that's very important to begin having an income again and paying off some bills or contributing again.
2: I would say that from my point of view, the biggest concern I've seen with patients in our program is, you know, they have these great aftercare plans towards the beginning because I know this is created throughout their whole 28-day stay. Yes. They'll, they'll create these great aftercare plans. And as they start feeling better and then they start feeling the pressures of, you know, bills and family obligations, they'll start chipping away at those plans. Yes. And then they leave. And unfortunately, they chipped away, I think, too much. Mm-hmm. And, and then we see some relapses, which is just horrible. And, you know they put in all this work they detoxed and then they get back into some of these bad environments and so you know that's where the aftercare plan is important not only developing a strong aftercare plan but sticking to it absolutely and you know so i i know that that's part of your clinical therapy sessions that you know you're not only talking about the root causes of addiction and but you're you're trying to eliminate some of those hazards and obstacles that occur and talking people out of, you know, trying to eliminate those, those chippings off, if you will. So, mm-hmm. yes. Well, I think,
0: <clears throat> you know, from an addict's perspective, you, you begin to convince yourself that you're okay at mm-hmm. a certain point. Like, you know, oh, you sure. start feeling better about yourself, you get healthy again, and, you know, things are falling into place. And then when that begins to happen, you know, it, your mindset's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm okay now you know like like i've got it yeah, figured absolutely out. Mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a common saying and a lot of people that that don't understand addiction say this a lot they'll say like you got this you yeah. got this the yeah. truth is we mm-hmm. don't ever got this what we do have is you know as it's said in the program uh, a daily reprieve mm-hmm. a daily pass which is really contingent upon our spiritual maintenance so it, you know, to, to sum that up, what that means to me personally is, you know, I have a, a daily pass from using as long as I keep doing the things that I've done right. to get to the place where I'm at. And, you know, I think that's, you know, what, you know, like you talked about sober living, you know, that's what I did, you know, when I left rehab was yes. I went to a sober living environment. Uh, it was very strict, you know, and And there was days that I did not like it, but I needed that structure, you know, and I, like you talked about, I needed to be around like-minded people that were, you know, going towards the same goal for sure. So it
3: helps create a habit. Yeah. You know, um, 28 days isn't a habit yet. Yeah. So
2: early on, when I first started working at this facility, I sat in, um, in a class that our CEO was teaching, uh, about neuroscience and that was very enlightening for me because I wasn't completely familiar with how much addiction affects the brain mm-hmm. and sets people up for continued failure. Yeah, absolutely. Can you mm-hmm. touch on just, I, I, and I just say a brief amount because it's a really big topic obviously, sure. but sure. Um, what is it about the brain that's going on during addiction that uh, causes people to keep failing?
3: So the chemicals that we're putting in our body, no matter what form it is, um, is changing literally our neurotransmitters in our brain and changing the way information is now delivered. Um, we are a dual diagnosis center here, mm-hmm. and I think that's the only way to do that because when it comes to the neuroscience behind it, every single patient that walks in this door is dealing with depression on some level and know. not because it was something that was there beforehand or or happened you know because of some trauma just simply put their brains stopped making dopamine the whole time they were using and and that is our that's our happy chemical that's the thing that says hey you know there's joy to life somewhere And when they decide to stop using, their brains don't just automatically go, huh, I probably should start doing that again. Yeah. Right? So they go through a period, and and everyone is different. I mean, it could be three months. It could be up to two years where their brain is trying to figure out that, okay, we stopped taking these chemicals, and it's my job then to pick up and start working again. So they go through a period of... You know, I'm trying to figure out sobriety. I'm trying to figure out life. They have, you know, there's some damage that's been caused that they're trying to fix. And then their brain's sort of slowly catching on to what it should have been doing in the first place. So it plays a huge part in it, a huge so, part. So the brain
2: is actively, you know, your worst enemy in a way. Yes. Because it's it's making you weak for, you know, what you are hungry for. And that's either yes. to be high or to have that dopamine of be happy. Yes. No right. one wants to be depressed, you know. Right. And the, the thought of having to wait months or even years. Right. That's a long time for somebody to, you know, yeah. have to keep working on something. And willpower is just not enough, you know. That's why all this education is important. The aftercare plan, keeping yourself in a safe environment. We've talked about sponsors. Yeah. We've talked about 12-step programs. Just It's about having a basically a barrier of defense. Yes. and And not just one thing, but lots of things.
0: for someone to have a chance at success. so Yeah, and I I mean, I really actually had, this reminds me of a conversation I had with a client last night, Mm -hmm. you know, about acceptance, right? You know, and we talk about in the program, like when the fog lifts, because like when you first come in the program, like I remember being in meetings and in my mind, I'm thinking of all these really cool things to say, like, and I'm listening to everybody else and all these guys that have been sober for years and I'm like, Man, they sound so smart. I gotta say something really smart too. <laughs> and then, like, when it would come, like, from my my thought to my to my mouth, like, it just would just, I'd be like, Yeah, that's really cool. I love being sober. And I'm like, What was that all about? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I could not could not like get a clear thought out. And like, you're right. Like, the brain ha- needs to heal. Yes. And you know, you get to this point finally. It's like the longer that I go on. The more you know, my my thoughts are processed more clearly, and, and it's like you can feel yourself healing, you know, uh, not just physically but mentally for sure. So, well, you know. I think it's one of the important parts of our program too that, you know, there are
2: events that occur that are surrounding or they're about fun while sober, right? Mm-hmm. So that people can mm-hmm. realize that they can do it without these chemicals, but yet still have fun. Oh, absolutely. So I know that we are our groups have gone out and done some bowling and done some events you know related to the town i think halloween there's been some things Mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's great opportunity for people we even have people that want to go out and do yard work because you know they feel good about getting outside getting some of that vitamin d from the sun and contributing to something so there's just different ways to to find that inner joy again with without addiction being a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's
3: one of the best parts of this program because Mm -hmm. I've seen other programs. I've been in other programs and this is not a part of other programs. Oh, good. Yeah, Yeah. so I love that part.
2: Something we're doing right. That's great. Absolutely. Um, One of our, you know, last questions is what have you seen that leads to people's failures? And I know we touched about it on it a little bit, but what are you seeing where people are relapsing? You know, What kind of mistakes are they making so that we can spread the word to, to others to avoid these pitfalls?
3: There's a couple. Um, the first one is the, I've got this.
1: <laughs>
2: and and yeah. it's
3: exactly what we just talked about. It's that comfort yeah. level. Mm-hmm. It's the, I finally feel good after mm-hmm. a decade of time, mm-hmm. um, you know, and in, in realizing, not, maybe not realizing that it takes so much more than just feeling good. So mm-hmm. much more. Um, and so that's kind of the biggest one. Um, the second one is kind of just getting in their own way, right? And what I mean by that is, um, you had talked about a little bit of chipping away of, of their services over time because they do feel better. Um, I, I don't. I can go back to work. I can keep myself busy. I, you know, I have a family. I'm going to work on rebuilding that relationship, and and they sort of feel like they they're invincible th- sure. that they don't need those extra services or they don't understand the importance of what those extra services will give them as far as those barriers that you were talking about, like that wall of defense, mm-hmm. um, you know. I, they i think also is this is not a lifelong disease is a mindset that some people get into mm. and so like i'm cured i'm done that's not always the case it's very rarely the case so um
2: when we i mean several of us in the world have had covid right it, it's the unspeakable disease that or condition that we've experienced over the last few years we're so glad to get over COVID, mm-hmm. but this isn't something people get over. No. It's something that stays with you forever. You have to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that I think has been difficult is people surround themselves with like-minded friends typically. Yeah. And yeah. when you go back to friends that are still living in the addiction lifestyle, Yep you're likely to fall into some old patterns sure. and sometimes you have to say goodbye and it doesn't have to feel warm and fuzzy. Right. But it's just a truth that if, mm-hmm. you know, these are going to be bad influences, you have to stick up for yourself and you have to say goodbye. And yeah. so I know that's something pe you know, and, and we can see that for people that, you know, are talking about reconnecting with old friends and, and we know what's coming around the corner for sure. them.
3: Even even outside of old friends, you know, some most of the clients I run into are going to have to say goodbye to a loved one, oh. you know, like a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister, yeah. you know, because they're they haven't made the choice to get well yet, and so, you know, saying goodbye to a family, but it's my mom, April, it's yeah. my dad, I yeah. can't I can't abandon them. I, I'm not asking you to abandon them. I'm asking you to put yourself as the number one priority for a minute, yeah. you know.
0: You know, I, when I when I got sober, I was about 60 days clean and I'd been with my wife um, for 11 years and, you know, at, at the time, like, I, you know, I was hoping that, you know, she would get help and, and she would do the same thing. But when she didn't do that, I had to make that, that tough decision, you know, and, and walk away from, you know, an 11 year marriage because she just wasn't ready, you know, but I was and I knew that. And, you know, that was one of the hardest things that that I had to do in the beginning. But, you know, it's it's really it really is about putting yourself first, you know, and it, it may sound that may sound selfish in a way. But, you know, this is life or death for me, you know, and if I'm fighting for my life then I can't let anybody or anything hold me back. Like, I, I take it that seriously. So, Absolutely. you know, if I'm fighting for my life, I'm going to fight with everything that I've got, you know. And, and oh, yeah. that means making those tough decisions and walking yeah. away from people that you love. And, and you know, like you said, it's, it's in a respectful way. I, I want nothing but the best for her, you know. But I've learned... I can love people from a distance, yes. and I can even pray harder for them from a distance as well, yeah. and still take care of my, myself and my it needs. It might be the kick in the pants mm-hmm. they need, also. You yeah, know, sure.
2: that not only, or it's only when you lose everything that you realize, like yeah. you've hit rock bottom and you need help. Yeah. And if you stay with them, you know, you could be bringing them down too if you keep pushing off of each other's addiction, you know, or feeding yeah. off each other's addiction rather. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely the way to go. So I just want to thank April for coming in today. It was great talking to you. Um, I love being your friend and your coworker. I love the knowledge that you bring, the love that you bring. You genuinely care. If I had a family member that was fighting uh, addiction, I would want someone like you in their life to take care of them. That would make me feel better. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks, April. We yeah. appreciate you
0: coming on. That's
2: a wrap for episode four of A Reason to Live. Let's give a shout out to our guest, April K. So fun to talk to her. So knowledgeable. Give a shout out to our host, Aaron Reason. Thanks for bringing your love, style, and compassion to this podcast and the world of recovery. Just like to remind everybody that following us is the best way to show your love and appreciation on social media, making sure to spread the word of each of these episodes so that people can learn about what the world of recovery and addiction looks like. Make sure to follow us and give us a rating, if you so wish, on each of our podcast forums. That includes Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Have a great day.